0: What's shaking, cats and kittens? Thank you for supporting my podcast and my sustaining partners. I want to tell you about one of them right now, Charmington Holistics. Do you know what an apothecary is? Well, an apothecary makes and provides medicines. Charmington Holistics specializes in all natural herbal remedies and is an apothecary. So what's ailing you? Can't sleep? Got a stomach ache? Got the blues? Well, head on over to Charmington Holistics, where you can find herbal support for anything you need. A personal blended tea, herbal tonic, and supplements can offer you an alternative to that Advil bottle, while an in house herbalist listens to your needs as well. Charmington Holistics is your source for all things herbal. Head on over to 425 South Conklin Street in Highlandtown, or visit Charmington Holistics on Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. And Charmington Holistics is open 12 to 5 on Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Head on over, check them out, tell them Rob Lee sent you. Welcome to The Truth In This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today I am interviewing the museum educator with the Office of Historic Alexandria. Please welcome Apossarin. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, like, uh, it, it was, it was hard. I was like, I was looking at the profile, um, on um, Instagram and now that's now defunct. <laughs> We're just saying that's defunct right now.
1: Yeah. It's been kind of a crazy day. <laughs> I got hacked. Uh, you know, I'm trying not to let it get to me. And just, so, yeah.
0: so, but in, in that, that's what, that initial point was. And then I started just kind of like typing in like your name and I was just like, Oh, this is just everywhere online. So I want to, um, get those vital stats from you. Can you give us a little bit about your background, where you grew up and some of those early experiences that led you to the work that you're doing today?
1: Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in PG County. Um, I was born in Mount Rainier, Maryland. Um, I was, let's see, I was, I was raised in a family business. My father, um, he's from Thailand. And so growing up, he started a business of like antique fine art restoration and conservation. So I was like that I was there every single day. Like that was very much my life. Um, Just being there in the shop and my whole family, like helping out with that. My mother, she made, like, plaster reliefs, like, of, like, you know, like, different botanical, like, um, I don't know, like, these just pretty reliefs that you would, like, hang on your wall or something. We would go to Eastern Market and, like, have a little stand and sell out of there. And then, um, you know, eventually, my father, he moved around to different stores in the area, and um, I just was always there all the time (laughs) after school, just there it was time to go home so I was always um I was brought up around like antiques um old things (laughs) applications of old things you know so I think that's what kind of sparked my my interest in history Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I was getting my um my bachelor's degree where I really started to get fascinated with it I had the chance to work on an exhibit and creating that exhibit was really um it, it was just, it was fascinating to me. Like, creating an exhibit, it kind of blends the history part of it, but also design skills and, sure. like, that, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think I answered your question.
0: <laughs> no, no, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I like, I like to just like sit there. Sometimes I'll troll people. I'll give them the the dare to headlights look and they'll just keep going. It's like, am I giving enough? And I was like, No, you're not. You're not. <laughs> but other times it's just like, oh no, no, you you really want to get the the person to um to ultimately what I'm what I try to do here is allow the person to share their story and where they're at and and sometimes they uncover, rediscover, like, damn, I did do that because of that reason. Yeah. So yeah.
1: It's like therapy. Um, I'm like going back in time.
0: (laughs) So tell me, tell me about your work as a museum educator um, and the, uh, the Freedom House Museum. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So as a museum educator, work for the office of historic Alexandria, really that's a collection of different historic sites and museums. One of them is Freedom House Museum. And that site talks, well, it's been a lot of different things, but it has been a, essentially a slave pen. It was where people, um, you know, imprisoned for domestic slave trade. Um, And that started in 1828. And then um, the most notorious owners were Franklin and Armfield. And they left the business in 1836. Um, By the start of the Civil War, the business ends. But thousands of people were moved through that site to the deep south. And um, really there, we try to talk about the domestic slave trade. Um, People don't really recognize, you know, they know about the transatlantic slave trade, but they can't really fully understand how it worked within the country and how integrated it was with all these other Systems, the fabric of society, you know, the fabric of our country, what was made off of. So um, right now the museum is undergoing like renovations and maintenance and they're doing like historic structures, reports and things like that. So in the meantime, we've been working on exhibits. And the exhibit that I'm working on is um, it talks about African-Americans in Alexandria from you know, the founding of the city in 1749 to up until like the 1980s. And we talk about um, the contributions that different African-Americans have made. And it's kind of difficult because although we're only highlighting maybe like 10 or 12 people in the exhibit, um, mm-hmm. we're still trying to tell the bigger story um, in Alexandria and, and talk about the different important events and time periods and, and just kind of how that fits into the country's history. So, um, it's been, it's been a lot of hard work. I've been working on it for about a year now and, um, hopefully we will open in April. Sorry, my cat just got, in.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so I'm doing the research for that exhibit. I'm writing the exhibit and then also creating the exhibit. So working with different artifacts and trying to, you know, get them all together and ready for, for display.
0: That's great. And I I think with. You know, just not being a lot of information out there as to what happened here. To your point, like, we'll know about the transatlantic, but we won't know about the domestic component. And I think sometimes we don't want to know about that because it kind of shows that, like, reflection of, no, this was very much an American thing. This was very much a thing that is rooted into what this country was about. And there are still remnants and repercussions of what that is in this country now. So, being able to kind of tell that, I think, and and speak to some of that stuff that has happened and also speak on like famous, like residents or people who've contributed that are in Alexandria or from Alexandria that contributed to just where we're at outside of that, that component of the, the, the slave trade, it shows like, okay, here's the history, what it is, warts and all tell what it is, as opposed to let's sanitize this and let's make this something that it's not because it, like you can look back at maybe something five years ago, ten years ago. And you're like, I lived that. That's not what happened. <laughs> so going back even further, and with some of the history and stuff that you're you're researching and writing and helping to put put out there and produce, um, I would imagine that some people are like, oh, I didn't know that. It's like, no, your family is a part of this actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many. There's a lot of misconceptions that people. When the museum was open, you know, it was open and then we closed for a period of time. But when people were coming in, I was talking to visitors, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. I mean, people are like, Oh, are these are these um, African Americans, are they coming from Africa? Are they coming? I'm like, no, 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 no. These are people that lived. Yes. (laughs) That lived in DC and Maryland. They lived in the area. Like they were born here. Their parents were born here. This isn't, you know, not, not that. The transatlantic slave trade isn't, you know, yeah. a story to be told in itself, but it's like these are two different things and not a lot of people understand that. Like, no, this is a this is a very different story that's not taught in middle yeah. school and high school. Like no one ever really talks about this.
0: And that's like I said, that's super important. And it also brings up questions and leads to discourse on, quote unquote, we value this concept of we're American. And it's like, well, <laughs> these people are American were American, and this still happened here, and it speaks on the classism and the different things that we, we do in this country. Yeah. Um, so I read that you partnered with the uh, Northern Virginia Community College art students and uh, community artists to create portraits of historical figures. Describe that experience.
1: Yeah. So um, I contacted one of the like head art professors, instructors at NOVA at the Alexandria campus. And um, her name is Stacy Slayton. And she was very responsive to this idea. And she was very collaborative from the beginning. So she had um, an advanced painting class that she thought would fit perfectly for the project. And um, so she, you know, I would pass her along materials for the exhibit so she could present them to her class. So her students were learning about the history. Um, as they selected individuals to paint, and so we're almost done. I'm just waiting on uh, like a few more students to contribute. I um, mean, to finish their paintings, and then when the exhibit's ready, they're going to be, you know, their their work is going to be hung on display. And it's interesting because these students all have different like aspirations and backgrounds. Like some of them um, want to be journalists, and um, you know, took painting to. I guess, help that accentuate what they wanted to do with journalism. Some of them want to become art teachers. Some of them, you know, some of them, they all have different backgrounds. And so it's just been really fascinating working with them and also, um, you know, create an exhibit where we really are collaborating with the community. I think um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of problems with museums where we don't really work with people to create history. Instead, we're kind of just like telling it mm-hmm. and what it is. And it should be more collaborative because these people are a part of history. This affects them. This is, you know, their interpretation matters. So um, it's just been really interesting. And, and um, you know, I'm grateful for being able to like work with these students and NOVA too. That's
0: great. And I and I like what you said there about the community being involved in that collaboration. That's that's important. And I hear about it all the time how things that go on with within that art community. It's like, you guys are representing us in theory, mm-hmm. but it's hard to get access. It's, it's that gatekeeper thing and it seems yeah. like you're you're doing the opposite there, so that's great to hear, especially with younger artists, too, because it's not like, oh, yeah, we have this tenured... It's like, no, we have artists that are at different stages, emerging artists and so on, and really, this could be something that really changes where they're going at and changes the yeah. direction of who can see it yeah that's,
1: that's exactly what I'm hoping for is you know I'm a master's student in a public history program at American University and you know we've been we talk about these inequities in the museums and in in the history field but it's you know you could talk about it all you want but we need to actually put it into action and actually mm-hmm. be about it so I was just very like adamant to like when I was given this opportunity to work on the exhibit, I was like, no, I'm actually going to like try to do something.
0: Yeah. So I think a lot of times people deal in concepts instead of something that looks like a change. And we, we see it like right now, right. Where we have these like grand ideas of let's fix this let's fix x what have you and then people are sitting there talking and it's just a means to procrastinate instead of just let's do it and then if we mess it up we could beg for forgiveness later but at least we, we tried something and I, I realize as I've gotten older that I appreciate that one versus just let me measure let me just keep measuring we don't know what's going to happen and nothing gets done
1: yeah yeah
0: so as a museum as a, as a museum educator, uh, how do you stay up to date? Where do you, like, fit in with the scope of... Like, how do you stay up to date and figure out what fits into the scope of the museum and, and to which degree are you involved with the curation process? Like, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so this is actually... This is a good subject to talk about. <laughs> um, you know, I've... So as a museum educator, mm-hmm. typically... I would help with like creating programs and teaching school children and um, giving tours and kind of like assisting maybe with some projects with some research here and there. Um, So this was, um, I think it was because of the pandemic really um, we stuck like, you know, I guess my department just tried to be a little bit, try to do things differently and give educators different responsibilities. So I'm definitely the one that's like always wants to do more. Like I'm always asking for more, like, let me work on this. Let me work on that. I want to do that. And so I've always been really interested with the Freedom House Museum and African-American history in general and Alexandria. So um, I don't think typically I think, a, you know, a curator would generally be doing the work that I'm doing. So I'm kind of like aspiring to be a curator right now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm just hoping I do a good job with this exhibit. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's, that's great. That's great. You're on you're, you're your way. You're on your way. Cause yeah. I'm listening. I was like, no, you're, you're doing it.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> you're welcome. So, um, so I have, I got two more questions before I get into my rapid fire questions. Okay. The rapid fire ones you should be afraid of. I They're am. very scary. Okay. <laughs> um, so can you share some of your, your influences or what have you? Um, and, and are there any specific works from visual art, documentary film or, or music that you find specifically important? It might be, you know what? I like the way that this person did this, or I like the way this exhibit was set up. What are some of those influences that really pop for you and why do they pop for you?
1: Hmm. I've spent, well, growing up, you know, in the DC area, I've always gone to a lot of the the museums that we have here. So, I would say I can't really think because of the pandemic and everything, I haven't really been in a museum lately. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of hard. I feel like if things were, you know, how they were, I usually take my kids to museums like every, like a couple, like a couple times every month. So I haven't been to one in so long. Um, I like to just be in um, art and history museums and just take in like visually, like how they are um, just, you know, organizing everything, how they're presenting things to the public. And I, I can't think of like one particular, I've been probably the last museum I've been to was, um, what is it? National Museum of Women in the Arts. Okay. Um, so, um, man, I, I, so I feel stuck with this question. <laughs> I think it's just a culmination of the different exhibits I've been to.
0: And that's that's great. Um, I think like sometimes that, that question does trip people up because I sometimes I get really interesting, like broad answers. It's like, yeah, I really like the way that this dude plays this guitar. It makes me a better visual artist. So I was like, how do those connect? And then they, they break it down. Yeah. But um it's it's always interesting to see like really what a person brings in. Um like sometimes I look at restaurant menus yeah. and I'm like, oh, you guys are nerds. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like it's it's one um, place here in Baltimore that um, they have uh, they have drinks in the menu, but they have wrestling references like wrestling finishing moves as references for the drinks. Oh, they like, okay, wow. you guys are great.
1: That's <laughs> like, this is really amazing. Cool.
0: <laughs> so I was like, now I'm going to drink this all the time. This is, this is wonderful. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. That's really cool. I don't know. I might have to, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to get back to you on that question. <laughs> okay.
0: okay. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, so this is the last question I have and, I, and, not, and not the least by any, by any stretch. Um, tell me about the, um, oral history project and, um, what initially attracted you to working on this project? And I got a few sub questions, but I want to at least start off and give you a chance to speak on that.
1: Yeah. So it's very different. Like focusing, you know, switching to psilocybin to magic mushrooms. <laughs> it's so different than the work that I've been doing. Um, but I think, okay, so I'm just going to say it. Like I've, I use psilocybin, I've used magic mushrooms and they've been wonderful. Um, I definitely don't use them regularly you know Mm -hmm. i use them when i feel like i should when there's like a moment in my life where i need to figure something out or um you know i'll be honest i've had two kids i have a two-year-old so i definitely went through postpartum depression and psilocybin helped me kind of work on things you know and get back to how i was feeling um more of my, my normal self and um I think it was, yeah, it was during the pandemic when we were and we still are in the pandemic, but you know, when we we're staying at home, we weren't leaving, and um I took some magic mushrooms and I just the idea came to me and I really don't understand like exactly how it came, but it came to me to do this project. And yeah. I wanted to combine my experience with oral history because I've done oral histories um And I just thought, you know, I'm tired of hearing about magic mushrooms and psilocybin from, you know, these elite individuals, whether they like scientists or politicians or, you know, the experts in the field who are usually white men. And I just thought, you know, I want to hear like real experiences from people and I want to give them the opportunity to share those stories because right now this is a pretty, like this is a pretty pivotal moment where entheogenics and different psychedelics and different um, plant and fungi medicines, they're becoming decriminalized, you know, Mm -hmm. becoming accessible or we're trying to make them more accessible for their medicinal benefits. And the people that they're affecting are everyday common people and we don't get to really hear from them. And from the historical standpoint, like I want, you know, you know, in the future for people to be able to look back and actually study this moment in time and like really understand how it came about and what the experiences of people were like. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if I answered your question.
0: <laughs> no, 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 um, and so, so in that it, there's there's this one sub question I have in it because you anch- actually in that answered two of because I had like four questions related oh. to that and you answered two other ones in there so I only got one left with it oh. and, uh, and so so what are what are some of the most interesting things that you've learned like during the process of, of putting during the research and, and and working on this and also I think that they're more connected at least at least the way that you're describing it so far more connected to how you approach your, your day job to this project, they seem very connected the way you described them. I was like, Oh, I'm interested tell me more. Tell me more. Where are my magic mushrooms?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think, you know, there is that whole stigma with magic mushrooms, with psilocybin that, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like a bad drug and you're going to get addicted and you're going, your life is going to fall apart and you're not going to be able to like function in society and think clearly. And that's like quite the opposite. And I knew that was true with me. I'm like, well, I'm not, like, I'm still doing my thing. and like, I'm still, like, still yeah. together. Um, And the more I talk to people, people that I don't know, you know, that aren't my friends that I'm meeting through the project, I'm like, no, these people are really fascinating and interesting and intellectual and smart and creative. Um, So I've just been learning that like this, this whole uh, perception of psilocybin and other psychedelics of being like bad, demonic, you know, Mm whore things that's going to like, cause havoc in society is completely wrong. And that actually has a long history dating back to, you know, war on poverty, war on drugs, war on crime, where we've kind of constructed this like reality of, of these plant and fungi medicines as being horrible. Um, but that's like a whole other topic to get into, but, but that's the biggest thing is just like, I I went into this project wanting to see, is there a community of, of psilocybin users in DC, you know, and community is such a broad term. I do not I do not want to just blanket that and, you know, say there's a community when there's not. So I really went into this project with the question of, is there a community? What does that look like? Who are the people? And um, I, I'm still doing the work. I'm still, I'm still coming to like realizations after every interview that I have. Um, And, but, but there's, there's a lot of different types of people. I'm talking to medical professionals. I'm talking to artists. I'm talking to um, parents and um, just different, different professionals and, and people with different backgrounds.
0: It's it's great. You have my interest. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to one that, that question from earlier and the latest on the oral history project. I'm looking forward to it. Put me on your mailing list or whatever it is.
1: Let's yes, it. yeah.
0: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, because um but you're, you're right. Um, I've, I've had people come to me, um, that are using psilocybin and they're, that they, they, they're, they're, they enjoy it. They, they tell me about just their experiences creatively. Right. And, you know, I would tell them about just different spots where I'm at and kind of how I'm feeling and, and so on, especially when it comes to, as I was describing to you, how many, how many recordings I might do in a day. And sometimes it's a it's, it's a drag, and you you have these ups and downs, and you're like, "Oh, you ever do any mushrooms, man?" Just <laughs> in the woods. I was like, "Can you ask that differently?" Um, and it, it gives me that vibe where, and this is just my standpoint, but it gives me that vibe where the the people that are up there, the, these austere, these very refined folks that are representative or supposed to be representative to speak on this topic, they they have a certain interest. It's like, oh, well, people that do this, these are bad people. It's it's like the reefer madness thing. And it's yeah. just like, but now you you see like tech bros, white dudes out there selling like weed and it's fine and we don't care. It's an industry. I can trade on it and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, until you guys found a, find a way to make money off of it, it's bad. It's um, immoral or what yeah. have you. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think, yeah, it's definitely all about capitalism at the end you know that's that's the answer to everything I
0: guess. this communism podcast is brought to you by now <laughs> <laughs> so i got um i got a few questions um a few rapid fire questions for you but thanks for telling me about the uh, war history project i'm looking forward to the next steps on that um and there's nothing to worry about here with these rapid fire questions they're they're great um <laughs> So there are four questions here. You don't have to provide any extra context unless you really think it's necessary. Okay. All right. First one outside of work. um, When do you talk about like history? Do you get into like those kind of history debates with like friends? Like, I think the revolutionary war started here. This is what really happened. (laughs) When do you get into those conversations?
1: Yeah. um, With my, okay. So with my partner, um, he probably gets annoyed by it though so i'm probably just talking to myself <laughs> at some point it starts off as a debate and then i'm just like rambling on and he's like you know doing his own thing i'm just still like talking about it um uh with my sister she's really into history too um, so i can really but things like we fight a lot so it can get like pretty like heated and we'll have to like i don't know we'll have to take a break or like you know i'll end it before it gets too serious and we start fighting or something um you know but in school i'm a master student so of course like mm-hmm. my whole life is filled with history from the time i wake up to the time i go to sleep i'm just yeah. reading and talking about it and researching and writing it um but yeah the
0: well, you, you guys are having, like, adult kind of, like, intellectual, like, arguments or what have you in debates. My brother and I are debating over, like, cheeseburgers. It's like, you know what? This is bullshit. This one is better. That's, that's what we do. That's what we do. It's just we're, we're low brow when it comes to our food choices, but we're very protective of them.
1: Oh, yeah. No, um, that happens, too. Don't worry.
0: <laughs> now, now, this one is going to be a little bit of a challenge, but I don't okay. think it's going to be too bad. Okay. Um, I miss traveling and I tend to do it vicariously, right? Do you have a, a favorite um, location that you've traveled to? Like not necessarily recently per se, but just in life. That's like, this sticks out. This was great.
1: Yeah. Like in my dreams, I think I don't travel. I've never really traveled that much. Really? I lived in California in San Diego for a short amount of time. And I'll just say that was my, my traveling experience. I i don't really travel much i don't i want to i want to so that's why i say i dream about it like i I really want to go to europe i want to go to thailand where you know that's that's like my heritage and i've never been to thailand before so um i'll just say california for now because i really loved it and um i love the west coast
0: I'm planning a little trip out there too. So I got to, I got to, I'm looking for the spots. I need to get something from In-N-Out, you know, animal style. I need to get really loose. So yeah. let's, let's do that. Yeah. yeah.
1: Oh, In-N-Out. I miss, I miss In-N-Out. Oh yeah. Okay. Now all these memories are flooding.
0: <laughs> Taste bud memories. And it yes. always goes back to burgers. It yeah. always goes back to burgers for me.
1: Burger. Well, no, it's like the burrito. It's a breakfast burrito ah. for me. I remember I used to get one like every single day and um, yeah, really unhealthy.
0: Mm-hmm. My life. <laughs> the, the, only th- the only thing that sucked out there. I went to. Uh, I'm, I'm a sushi snob, and mm. um, it's this place here that uh, they're always making rolls, and I come in out just like eat like nine rolls, and they're, like sushi monsters here again. and <laughs> I I went there into Little Tokyo and I had a very, as I called it, my uh, Japanese long weekend. I went to see Japanese wrestling, hung out Little Tokyo, had sushi, bought a bunch of wild stuff. It was great.
1: That sounds really fun.
0: (laughs) It was a lot of fun. And that was my first time going to Cali, by the way. So it was just like all, and it was um, the Anime Expo too, all in that same weekend.
1: Oh my gosh. So it was
0: great. And the only thing that sucked about it was the sushi was not on point.
1: In California?
0: I don't know what happened. Maybe I went to the wrong place. Oh, I had a bento box later that kind of redeemed it, but that first sushi experience was not good.
1: I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, every time I had sushi, that's well, that's where I like started loving sushi. It's so, yeah. that sucks. You sushi. have to go back. You have to
0: sushi. Sushi is great. Give me like a like a uh, like a volcano roll or something like something that's like kind of fried and it's got like smoked salmon in there. Yeah.
1: Oh. Man. Yeah. yeah. I was definitely oh. afraid. I definitely like stuck to like California roll. Like I. Mm. any raw fish at first and then i probably had some sake like a sake bomb and then i like expanded my horizons
0: (laughs) yeah yeah um so i got two more uh what what other talent would you most like to have
1: i wish i could play an instrument i wish i could i i like that's you know go back to mushrooms like that's why i feel like mushrooms is my calling Mm -hmm. this was like calling for me because i'm not good at anything i'm like i've tried so many different hobbies and i suck so like um that's why i'm like oh i'm like i'm actually good at like at like mushrooms like this is my thing but um so yeah a musical instrument i would want i would want to be a musician i probably start off with like the guitar or maybe the piano um I've always like pretended. Like I've always like just picked up and I'm like, oh yeah, like I know what I'm doing and it sounds horrible, but in my head I'm like really good.
0: <laughs> I I because I'm like you can't probably tell because I'm six four, right? Mm-hmm. I I wanna play a double bass. I just want to like have one of those really tall like basses just like, you know. Oh, that's so cool. But- but then be very charismatic, like a lead singer with it. It's like you're a it's like, look, I am the bassist, Firstly,
1: <laughs> wait, do you know how to um, play any instruments?
0: I got. no I am less talented than I look. No, I don't <laughs> play anything. You said you're not good at anything. I suck at everything, even this. Uh, lastly, last, this the last question I got. Um, and ma- and maybe this ties back to the psilocybin. But when do you feel your freest?
1: My freest. Um. Definitely when I'm away from my kids. It's <laughs> like, no, that's horrible. no um, my phrase. is, <laughs> um, that's a good question. And um, I get, yeah, I think it would have to do with psilocybin. And it's probably those times, because like I microdose too, mm-hmm. probably like in between like a microdose and a full dose where it's like, you know, I'm just, I'm just like vibing at, at yeah. home, just relaxing. I'm just like listening to music and just thinking about life. I think that's really where I feel the most free.
0: Yeah. Just, just wait for it. I'm going to ask for that psilocybin playlist.
1: Yeah. I've been, I've been working <laughs> yeah. on one. So yeah.
0: that will be great.
1: And that could, I guess. Go back to that question you had about my influences, but it probably yeah.
0: has to do a lot with music, I think. So okay, okay. Now since you threw that, uh, I know I just set it. myself no, up with no, that. No, see, you, you did, you did, you did. Um, so what? What is the um, like? What? What is? What are you regularly listening to? Is that a particular artist, particular genre? What are you usually listening to?
1: I'm all over the place. I've been listening to a lot of um, ASAP Rocky. And, um, <laughs> then I also like, um, I also like Tori Moy, Mo. Yeah. Tori Moy. Um, I like, um, who else? Then I was listening to a lot of like the killers lately. I don't know why I've just been listening to them.
0: Jenny was a friend of mine. man. Huh? <laughs> Jenny was a friend of yeah. mine. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. I think I'm kind of like all over the place. Oh.
0: You, you, you have very similar musical taste to me because Uh-oh. I'm looking at my Toro album right now that's on my record player, and wow. I my uh, from uh, my birthday was a couple weeks ago, and my my partner uh, she got me the um, live from Trauma like records like a double record, and I haven't cool. opened it yet. I was like, I'm gonna blast this later. This oh, is gonna be great. that
1: sounds so fun! Wow.
0: I got to see him mm-hmm. one time live at the 930 Club, and this was my third time trying to see him do his thing or what have you. I was there the previous two times. No, I was there one of the previous two times, and I had a panic attack, and I just had to leave. I was like, I'm not feeling well. I'm just going to go home. So I missed him, right? Oh, and man. then she knew that, and she was like, oh, I got his tickets to the 930 Club. I was like, what's happening there? And she was like, we're going to see Toro. I was like,
1: <gasps> oh, and my God.
0: He, this is before the last album came out. So I was just like, hell yeah. And that album had to be released on my birthday. So I got a preview of the album oh, wow. and it was really, it was really good. It was really rad.
1: Wow. That sounds like so much fun. I, I've also seen him live. He's a really great performer. Yes. and I definitely was a fan. I like waited until this, after the show, I hung around and I, <laughs> I was just, I was just waiting there. For like probably like thirty minutes by myself. to <laughs> like, meet him. I want to. Yeah, but he's.
0: Uh, I, yeah. Hi, I'm a pastor.
1: <laughs> like, I'm a really big fan. Can I can I um touch your mic or something? Like I don't know. Like I I was probably really dorky. I get really nervous. <laughs> probably said good. something stupid, but whatever. He's cool. Also, Little Dragon. I've been listening to a lot of Little Dragon
0: too. You see, like I said, same, same taste. Yeah. Um, so with that being said, um, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. And I want to invite you to um, let the fine folks know uh, where to check you out, more of your work, some updates on the, you know the, the oral history and so on.
1: Yeah. So, you know, <clears throat> my Instagram got hacked. So I can't give you my personal account, but um, I made an account for the oral history project. It's called Blue Mycelia. So blue and then mycelia is M-Y-C-E-L-I-A. Um, and so there, you know, I'm horrible with, with social media, but I'm trying to give updates about like the different interviews that I do and like the different materials that I'm reading. I try to share knowledge and, um, yeah, you can just stay up to date. Hopefully I'll make a website one of these days. (laughs)
0: So there you have it, folks. Again, I want to thank you, Apostle Ren, for coming on to the podcast. Um, and yeah, um, so for Apostle Ren, this is Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around your city. You just got to look for it.